Welcome, beautiful human beings, to this podcast that I call Innerverse. My name is Chance, and if you could not tell by the epicness of this music, today the episode you are listening to is incredibly special and really cool to me. It's one that I've often thought about whenever I was just a non-podcasting podcast listener. I thought, wow, I'd really love to jump into a conversation with somebody like Daniele Bellelli, because I've heard him on Joe Rogan podcast, Duncan Trussell podcast, uh, Chris Ryan's podcast, all over. Oh, wait, he's got his own two podcasts as well. So really, this is like one of the godfathers of podcasting to me. And on top of that, he's a really cool guy, really nice guy, really fun conversation, really balanced look at the world that we got into. Loved it. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Daniele. Making dreams come true, my friend. The epic music at hand has been provided by none other than John Yentes. He is a guy that was a guest on the show, season two, episode eight, 2.8. And that was a fantastically fun episode. John lives in Japan, he composes video game music, and I decided I really needed something extra special for this episode with Daniele, so I hit up John and asked him to use some music for the episode, and he was like, do it. If you've got music you want me to use on the show, it's yours, or you just think I should feature somebody you know, just message me about it. I'm really responsive to messages on SoundCloud. That's a good way to get in touch. So I'm gonna get onto the podcast, but first, some quick business. about the business it's called this baseline right here haha -ha. but okay really here's what we got to talk about first of all if you could go to the episode description find a way to view the description in full so that all the links are active and from there you can see links to a few things that you could do to help the podcast grow i'm not saying you have to do this but if you're already taking the time to listen, then maybe while you're listening, you could just check out these links. And if you could do one of these three things, you would be supporting the show and interacting with me and helping turn this into a community. So the first thing is steamit.com. You're going to see a link to steamit.com in the episode notes. And that is a new social media outlet that is a blockchain Bitcoin style cryptocurrency social media where the things you like and the things that you post actually give you monetary rewards and there's no advertisers and you're not putting gas in Mark Zuckerberg's Bugatti whenever you use it. You should get off Facebook because it's literally Satan. Okay, anyway, steam it. Jump on there, check out the podcast, full description and notes and pictures and stuff there. That's where the real fun is. You can see embedded videos. Steam is cool. Second thing you could do, check out the link to Interverse on iTunes here. And if you're on a computer, you can probably do this. If you're on an iPhone, you can definitely do this. If you go to the podcast app or just click the link, it should open it automatically. You will 
uh, be able to leave a review for the show. And if you do this, just leave five stars. It's going to help people find the show that are looking for new things to listen to because the search algorithm that Apple uses is totally dependent on five-star reviews. So you don't have to write anything. You don't have to do a subject or description. You just got to do five stars, bing, bang, boom, send. So if you did that, that would be really cool. I do feel a little bad talking over this music because it is so fucking awesome. So if you're in there looking at the episode notes on the description already, or you're on Steam and checking that page out, or you're on SoundCloud looking at the page there, you should definitely check out the page to John Yente's if you're into the music. The other thing that could really, really help out the podcast, the thing that could help out the podcast, the biggest thing would be to click on the link and go to patreon.com and support the show there by pledging $1, $3, $5, $12, whatever you feel called to based on the reward that you think would be cool to get. The reason why I need you to do this is because it is not free to make a show like this and also it takes up a lot of my time. I work a full-time job to support a family and I've got very little time to even put this together and it's not that I don't want to do it. I totally do. It's my complete passion in life's work to make this show. But if I had more time to do it because I was getting more resources from it, well, I'd do a lot better job making it, right? So if you want to help make that a reality, please go pledge to the show there. Check out all the rewards there. Give me some feedback on what you find content-wise. If you're already a member, don't forget that I've been posting there regularly and there's all kinds of extra stuff you can get. I'm really grateful that you're just listening to the show. I know you're going to like the episode with Daniele because he's such a cool individual, fun to talk to, and a real expert at being on a podcast. He's been on many. Uh, While you're looking at the links, check out the links to all of his pages there as well. Thank you for considering looking at my Patreon. I am humbly in awe of all the support I have received thus far from my friends and family. If I could just get a little bit more support, I would actually be able to get a new computer, which would make my process a lot quicker. Unfortunately, tonight I actually broke the headphone jack on my laptop that I'm using, and my laptop's over three years old, so you know what that means. It's getting to be a dinosaur. And yeah, I can't even listen to (laughs) the podcast back in headphones, so that's gonna make my audio editing that much more interesting. Not that I'm complaining, I'm having fun, for sure. This is what I like to do. But I got a little support from you guys, and really, what's a dollar a month anyway? Would you even miss it? Um, If I could get that support, boom, I could actually take off and make this thing even bigger and greater, which in the end is cool for you guys, the audience, because you get to see it grow, you get to be a part of that, and you maybe get to come on the show, depending on if you're interested in that kind of thing. Thanks for hearing me out on the Patreon, and I will now get on to this episode with Daniele Bellelli. May the force be with you, or whatever, I love you. You guys make it possible for me to even do this. If there was no audience, what would the point be, right? So thanks for listening. Let's go.
Uh, so welcome to the show, everybody. Daniele Bolelli, podcasting superhero, history professor, martial artist, and probably a lot of other stuff. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> so um, what have you been uh, up to lately other than your podcasting, or is that really all you've been up to? I've been keeping up with, especially History on Fire, that that uh, Custer series was amazing. Yeah, man, there's uh, one more at the end of uh, March, so coming up soon, and I still have to record that one. So I need to record the last one in the in that series, and then uh, what's coming up after that? I'll do an interview with Dan Carlin where we'll just talk history a little bit, and then... Uh, and then no, no, for History on Fire. Oh, wow. We'll just chat history a together. Special episode, kind of. Yeah, exactly. Well, that buys me time on research too, because otherwise the research is brutal. You know? Yeah, it's so like to the audience that doesn't know what you were up to, the History on Fire actually is essentially like a full-on audio book as a podcast that you get for free. You, Daniele, you do so much research on every given topic. It's really probably not comprehensible to a person other than maybe Dan Carlin. Yeah, the next one coming up after that is this series I just finished researching. And luckily, it's going to get me four episodes because it's so long. But it's uh, just my notes alone are 30,000 words. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's a book. Like 50 pages, single spaced. Uh, yeah, it's nuts. That constitutes a real organization of mind to even put something like that together. I mean, you've actually written books, so you kind of have understanding of chipping away at things one day at a time, I imagine. Yeah, that's the gig. Yeah. Uh, for me, like doing anything creative, I, it basically, especially for my schedule, I literally, literally do have to just chip away at it 15, 20 minutes at a time, an hour. Yeah, of course. Because, I mean, when are you going to have the luxury of sitting down for, for next month? I'm just going to work on this one project. Yeah, like when's that going to happen, you know? Well, that's the kind of stuff that you kind of tell yourself whenever you are not actually creating the stuff that you're interested in creating you're just imagining it yeah we exactly. have this binge mentality in our culture like i'm gonna put it off until the day that i'm really ready and then i'm gonna yeah, yeah. it's never gonna happen <laughs> it's too bad too because really pretty much everybody has that creative cosmic energy flowing through them at all times in their minds they're thinking of things they would like to create or be a part of it's just whether or not they have the control of their own mind to do it Totally, man. And you need to really just be disciplined and because most of the time you're not going to have the opportunity to dedicate the time and energy. So you need to cut, you know, I have an hour here. Okay, great. I have an hour here, two days from now, I have another two hours, uh, three days later, I have one more hour, you know, and it doesn't sound like much, but when you add it together, it does become serious time that you can dedicate. But yeah, if you're waiting for the week where you have nothing but that week, unless you marry rich or win the lottery, that's not going to happen easily. No, it's really not, especially with any type of full-time job. Yeah. But whenever you it. do chip away at it, you also kind of have momentum so that when you jump back into it, you like remember where you were at and you get right to it. Yeah, that's the hard part too. That's some time when you let, when you can't, but just let too many days go by before the next session. Half of that session go into remembering where you left off and getting back into the groove. And by the time you're back in, it's like, okay, three more days from now, I'll pick this up again. <laughs> so that's, that's it. That's why somebody who can do it as a pro and dedicate uh, full time to it, as it's so much easier, you know, it's so much easier to get the job done under those circumstances. 
So if you guys heard what he just said, that means you should subscribe to Interverse on Patreon so that I can do it full time eventually and do an actual good job. <laughs> right. Oh, but seriously, um, it's it's not easy to have that discipline. And I think for me, I had to actually learn other types of discipline before I could go to a more complex form like drawing or painting or podcasting. So like meditation, mm-hmm. um, you know, Qigong, yoga, stuff like that which I harp on on this show a lot, so I don't, we don't have to go down that road. But I know for you, martial arts are kind of a, a meditation in a way. Totally, because it forces you to be 100% in the moment. It's this intense physical activity where so all other thoughts kind of go out the window and there's nothing but the present moment, what you're doing. And so it does become very meditative in that sense. Well, and if you're actually sparring then and you're not in the present moment, you'll be brought oh, into yeah. it real quickly. Definitely. So, no, I love that. And it does uh, center me in a way that kind of nothing else does. So I really, really dig it. So I actually prepared some questions for you, which I don't normally do, but I think I want to be careful not to treat my uh, audience like they know you as well as I do, because you have a really interesting background, in my opinion. So I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about your upbringing in relation to Native American culture, because that's one of the things I've always connected with you on is um, you you're one of the few sources I've had for like accurate, accurate information about Native American history and even modern Native American uh, stuff that's going on with the, the tribes currently. Yeah, I don't know why. I have no idea why, because I grew up in Italy, not exactly next door to a reservation or something. So, you know, you're I'm thousands of miles removed from the place where any of these would happen. For whatever reason, since I was a tiny kid, like, and I mean really tiny, like two years old for some reason, I was fascinated with native things. Uh, I was always into it, and I started reading, like, when I was a five, six-year-old kid, when you first learned to read, uh, many times I remember books that featured native things, and and I don't know why. I have no idea. I, You know, we can speculate, but the reality is I don't know. I was just very fascinated with the topic, and then... So I read a ton, but then of course, when I moved to the United States, then it became more personal because I started meeting people who were native and, you know, hanging out and becoming friends and then being more exposed in a, not just bookish way, but in a more direct way to the culture and specifically mainly Lakota stuff. So out of North and North Dakota, South Dakota, that area. And, um, and that's when it became a bit more real. And then, of course, I started, you know, when I was in college at one point, I didn't really want to do college. I definitely didn't want to do an MA. I certainly didn't want to do a BA. I didn't want to do any of it. But back then, Italy had a mandatory military service. So I had to stay in college in order to avoid it because military service was bullshit. You know, it wasn't even like you learn something useful. It was essentially they park you there for a year to waste time just to make sure that the morale is low enough that the army is not going to stage a coup against the government that I'm not actually making it up. That's no, no, it's kind of the same deal with the National Guard here. It's like we have the right uh, citizens to form a militia, but then the federal government gives us the National Guard and says, oh, this is your militia, but that's not really the militia. Right. So bottom line, I don't want to do it. And sure. um, so staying in school was the best option. So I guess that's what convinced me to do a BA and eventually like, oh, damn, it's done. And there's still military service. So I guess I'll do a master's. And they had one in American Indian studies at UCLA. And I was like, I already know like 95% of this stuff. I can, okay, that's easy enough. I can do this. 
So, and then I found myself as a result of that, it's like, I guess I have it, I might as well use it. So I started teaching with it. Then I got another second master's in history and then I kind of ran with it. And so, you know, I've been teaching uh, in history, but also specifically in American Indian history for 16 years or something like that. Maybe you were some kind of like elder wisdom keeper for the Lakota in a previous life. <laughs> Who the hell knows, right? Life is mysterious. <laughs> and we, yeah, that's too simple of an explanation, probably. For yeah, well, what life that's is really. Is I, you know, there are things. There are things that are interesting. You know, I'm not. I'm not necessarily a super huge believer in reincarnation. It's not that I don't believe it either. I'm just, of course, I have no idea, so it's silly for me to speculate. The only time when I felt like, huh, maybe there is something to it, is related to native things because I remember some time when uh, just hearing the language you know, Lakota language spoken, it has this huge emotional response in me. It's like, it moves me. It totally moves me. And it can be somebody saying, hey, what's up? You know, it doesn't have to be a particularly deep thing. Just the language itself, I find there's something to it that strikes an emotional chord that, and I have no idea why. And again, it may just be, who the hell knows, those sounds are cool to my sphere and, you know, they hit the right way. Or who knows? I don't know. But I do notice and I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird. It could be, maybe it's because as a language, there's less sort of corruption to the to the words and the sounds versus English language, maybe. It's more of a pure, like closer to spirit type of language. Or maybe... It is some sort of weird ancestral memory for your actual soul. Yeah, I have no, I have not the slightest clue. I just notice it and go like, huh, that's kind of weird. And but it's just powerful in general because that, that song that you included at the end of the last episode about okay. the uh, battle for the Black Hills yeah. was really powerful. I was yep. like at work walking around just getting uh, like mildly tripped out. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. No, those guys are intense. So I know you're kind of an MMA approach to spirituality type person and mm -hmm. like practical and uh, not really like you, you don't want to speculate things that aren't necessarily provable or that you have an experience, like you said, with reincarnation. But there are there any aspects of native spirituality or, or native cosmology that you've incorporated into your own worldview or that you found jived with your worldview whenever you came across it? I mean, I think my worldview is not necessarily a hardcore skeptical worldview because right. even that means an act of faith because you're assuming that nothing that you can measure is real. And I'm, I don't believe that either. I believe there's a ton of stuff that I don't know about that is beyond the instruments of modern science. Um, so my attitude is unless I know it, then it could be, but it could not be. You know, I'm not sold or convinced that it's fake either. I kind of have a keep your mind open and just move on until it becomes your experience kind of thing. And there are things that have happened in my life where I go like, ha, that really does not fit within the current laws of physics. Uh, but I don't really build on it other than saying the universe is a lot weirder than the current laws of physics can explain. I don't really try to then explain it because I don't know the next step. I know that what just happened should have not happened, you know? <laughs> but I don't know why or how or, and that to me is speculation at that point. That's not based on my experience. Neil deGrasse Tyson was on Joe Rogan's podcast again recently. And yeah. he said one of his favorite, one of my favorite lines of his, which is the universe is under no obligation to make sense to you. 
That's for sure. And occasionally there are those reminders where you go, okay, this is a hell of a reminder that our current understanding of science is so ridiculously limited that it's funny. You know, that is just like, and again, I think that's the best we can do. And so science is awesome, but let's not take ourselves too seriously. We know we are baboons playing with this delicate instrument of which we understand a tiny fraction of. Yeah, science has become more of a religion than a mindset. And it's really more of like a way of thinking when in its pure form, not some sort of a dogmatic priestcraft where you just worship the word this study says. Yeah. <laughs> But it's I think, funny. Yeah, oh, yeah I'm sorry. No, you no I think embracing the unknown is a good thing. It's like you want the scientific method in order, if you want to say that you know something, yeah, you want to be able to replicate it and prove it and everything else. But just because you can't do that, it doesn't mean it's not real. It just means I can't figure it out yet how to prove it. It doesn't mean I should believe it, but it doesn't mean I should disbelieve it either. It's kind of like, why are you even making such a fuss about what's real and what's not if you can't prove it or disprove it? Just go with the stuff you know for sure and be open to the rest. The frustrating thing about any paranormal type experiences I've ever had in my life would be that consistently, both in ones I've experienced and those that others have described to me, there's always an equal amount of room for it to be bullshit as there is that it's real. I mean, there are once in a while, there are scenes that are just like, okay, that you cannot explain in any possible way. Can you name Uh, like one really psychedelic thing that happened without actual psychedelics? Sure, sure, sure. Like, um, I think I mentioned this on Joe's podcast, one on Joe Rogan podcast once. This was trippy. This was actually native related, oddly enough, but, um, there was somebody was doing a ceremony up in Canada and they were telling me how they, oh yeah, you know, we uh, did something special for your daughter and this and that. And I said, oh, that's sweet. That's cool. And he said, and the guy said, oh, I kind of got the feeling that she's sensitive to these kind of things. Ask her if she had a dream that was related to native stuff. And, you know, I didn't want to ask a leading question. So I didn't ask, did you dream about Indians? I was kind of like, did you have any, so I, later I asked her, did you have any dream last night? And you know, most of the time she doesn't remember. So it's, and, and she certainly never had dreams that are related to native issues that just doesn't even pop up. And she goes, no. And I'm like, ah, oh, you say bullshit. That was nothing. And I take about two steps away and she goes, oh, wait, I did have a dream. Now I remember. And I remember like my grandpa was taking me to this Indian reservation where they're teaching me the language. And that's where the moment where you go, oh, shit. Okay, that's a little, you know, in seven years of her life, no one she had ever had a dream that was about natives. The one damn day when the guy asked me about it and I don't ask a leading question, she tells, those are those coincidences that you go like, okay, this is too much. This is just too fucking weird to even begin to come to terms with. It's, it's like right there in front of you. She was being guided in, a, in like a spirit world by some sort of, in some sort of really like ancient type of way that we don't understand that maybe native peoples used to have a connection with an ability that we just don't have a, you know, we're not in tune with anymore, but there, then again, it could just be bullshit. Like there's always that room for, for that because it's an anecdotal story. Sure. But life is an anecdotal story. You know what I mean? (laughs) Measuring a lab is 
you know, measure in a lab love one day. Try to measure falling in love in a lab. See how far you go with that, you know. It's not something that, not everything is mechanical, you know. Not everything is something that can be easily broken down in, in those kind of ways. And that's why I think those are useful tools. I'm not saying those are not good tools. Those are great tools. But they have their limits. And then there's a lot of life that doesn't fit in those, and that's okay. The in a way you can still apply the scientific method though, because even to things that are more non-physical or experiential to your life, you can still you can still take in a variety of experiences or a variety of information and look for what's consistent in between these experiences and what contradicts itself and then that gives you a good framework to go on. But one thing I always try to remember is to just go ahead and let go of any kind of epiphany I might have about how things work outside of the yeah. moment that I'm having it. Totally. And that's why I wouldn't build on it. I would tell you, okay, that's a coincidence that beyond what I would call coincidence. But that doesn't mean I know what happens or how it works or, yeah, no, it means that there are spirits who come to you in dreams. I don't know that. I, that I have no idea. I yeah, can that's where we get all the woo-woo new age people is from people that have an experience like what you're describing, but then they run with it a little too far. Well, I think that's the problem both with the science fundamentalist as well as the new age crap, where they do the same thing, which is they take an experience and badly want to come to a conclusion about the nature of reality, either in denying like, oh, it did not measure in the lab, so that means it's not real, screw it or in the making up stuff beyond what the experience warrants. It seems like the common thread is nobody likes to deal with uncertainty. Nobody likes to deal with the fact that there's so much mystery in life and embrace it. Everybody wants answers, even when answers are not supported by the evidence. Yeah, um, truth is usually in that middle ground in any particular thing that you're maybe questioning. Yep. Like finding, yep. and even what we were talking about earlier, like staying in sort of a creative flow, being able to stay busy, being in balance, that does also constitute um, literally being sort of seated in between your right and left brain and not being dominated by a masculine or a feminine side. Mm-hmm. Very cool. <laughs> uh, so uh, how's, uh, how's the family these days? Yeah, there are three days a week or so I'm just morning through night. So I'm kind of gone all the time. Luckily, the other four, I'm, I get to be home a lot more. Cool. So you're not like completely separated from your family? No, 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 no. no. It's just the first three days of the week, they really suck. Because I just, some most of the time I make it home to say goodnight and that's it. I take her to school in the morning and I don't see her until night, which obviously sucks. But luckily, the other four days, she's with me a lot. So close enough. So do you have to kind of like load things up into those three days so that you're not um, constantly driving back and forth? Yeah. Yeah. All the driving, all the teaching, I take place in those three days. And then everything else, of course, uh, you know, the other stuff I want to do, I need to pack it in the other four days. So what kind of things are you doing for recreation these days? Are you getting outside? Are you doing any hikes? Like uh, what's your what's your unwind look like? No, in these days, it's really just martial arts. Because it's just uh, work like a dog, do martial arts, spend time with my daughter. That's it. What do you do? You know, there's not a whole lot else. Uh, no, no vacations. Like that. I mean, it's not always like that. Sometimes, you know, the semester ends, I have bigger breaks, I can go, you know, I, it's not like these 365 days a year. 
But we have a big trip coming up with the uh, group that goes on tours. Uh, so oh, yeah, yeah. So, well, that's a possibility. We need to see if it makes it or not. But yeah, there's a possible. I, I think actually I'm gonna tape a, a trip out there anyway. So in one case, I'll do it with these guys uh, where they're gonna do this tour of. Uh, the Battle of the Little Bighorn, uh, some kind of key historical site across Montana, Wyoming, South Dakota. But even like if, if it doesn't go, I will go to South Dakota anyway. I want to go to the Black Hills a little bit. I like the Black Hills a lot. I haven't been there in a while. I want to go. I want to take my girlfriend there. I, she hasn't seen them in forever. So it will be fun. And then after that, I go to Italy. So yeah, it's not like I'm locked in, locked to work all the time. For me, it does kind of help whenever I am in a, like a really hard working cycle. If I have something like that, like a trip or some sort of peak experience in the near future that I can build towards, because um, whenever you do get to have that off and then on and then off thing during the off, you can sort of decompress and uh, re-strategize the way you're doing the on on stuff. Like I just got back from a trip to Costa Rica which was my first time even getting Sweet. out of the country. I like a study. I've been there. Cool it seemed like an easy first country to travel to. That's yeah, beautiful. Uh, so how long ago was that that you went to Costa Rica? A long time ago, maybe eight years, nine years, something like that. Maybe more. I wish that we had mangoes just falling out of trees like they I do. Know. That was, that was a trip. Lovely. <laughs> So uh, what's what's your next History on Fire series actually about? It's um, the Spanish invasion of Mexico with the uh, Spaniards against the, the Aztec Empire. In the oh, 50s. like Cortez? That, yeah, that's the deal. So that's going to be an intense one. Have you read Graham Hancock's work on that, the uh, historical fiction? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I like that. Do you know if he's putting out the third part to that? He was writing it, so I'm assuming that it's coming out soon because, uh, yeah, he was writing it a few months ago, so it should be done now. I'll definitely link to that in this show's notes because uh, lately I just fail to find time to read books. But one of the best things I've read in the recent in recent life was those two books. The series is called War God, and yeah. essentially it's a, it's a highly psychedelic historical fiction where taking points of view – using characters from both the Spaniard side and the Aztec side and some Mayan characters too. You paint, it paints a picture of how, um, there's a, at least in this fiction, there's like a, an otherworldly entity posing as, um, spiritual entities to both Cortez and to Montezuma. Like Cortez That's thought he was having dreams of St. Peter and yeah. Montezuma was ha seeing a God from the Aztec religion one through dreams and the other through eating a bunch of mushrooms. And it's like this one entity is feeding off of the destruction and the, uh, the bloodshed. And it's super dark, but super uplifting too, in some aspects, because like the bravery of humanity, you're even rooting for the Spaniards in some parts. It's crazy. Well, yeah. It's trippy because, uh, you know, those are the, the theory that Graham puts forward there. And of course is in fictional fashion, but I wouldn't exactly rule it out because, you know, when you look at, that's why the theory is so funny because when you look at the evidence of what Spaniards do and what the Aztecs do, both of them are doing some horrible things to one another and to everyone else involved. So the idea that these guys are all doing their God's will and that Graham's theory is that their gods are real, they are actually one entity and it's a demon that's thriving on human suffering. 
I mean, you know, it can just be fiction, of course, but it can also be a interesting way to explain uh, why these groups of religiously obsessed people end up unleashing hell on anyone they come in contact with. There was a, um, a couple back then. There was also a pre-incarnation Alex Jones yelling on the streets. It's the same interdimensional entity attacking us. We are under attack. He was, I wonder if he was a Mayan or a Spaniard. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, you are poking the bear because you know how much I hate Alex Jones. Oh no, I, I brought it up because uh, we talked about the la- a little bit in our last conversation and uh, I, I've listened to him a little bit since then and it's just so entertaining how crazy he gets, but uh, I'm, I'm way more interested in it just to like hear the other side so I can just be like, whoa, but yeah, well, I not, think the thing that I don't like about him is not even that I think the he's selling the products guy. thing. I think I think that's all he does. I think he's a guy who is just a consummate bullshitter, figured out a niche to sell stuff to people. And I don't mean products even. Even the stuff he says, I don't buy that he believes five percent of what he says. I think he's just well. It's a it's a popular market, that's for sure. So yeah, he's a hustler. You know, he's just making money on selling bullshit, which he doesn't believe. Because I mean, you see as he's acting, you see the way he acts. There's no way you can be mimicking having a heart attack. You are so mad, and then zero point two seconds later, you go from this red in the face heart attack to go. And now for nine ninety five, please buy our nice vitamins. It's like it's bullshit. You know, he doesn't believe it. He's putting on a show. It's like watching pro wrestling. And it pro is, wrestling, it's very much like pro wrestling. He'll like talk about some conspiracy, and there'll be these sound effects like bleep bloop 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 bleep, bloop bleep, 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 bleep. Yeah. yeah. No, and I mean, I guess the difference is. I pro wrestling can be entertaining. The fact that maybe, you know, Alex Jones could be entertaining if we acknowledge, okay, we are playing. The fact that a ton of people, including some smart people, can go hook, line, and sinker for that bullshit, that's what disturbed me more than Alex Jones himself. I've, I've done personal investigations on stuff I've heard him talk about and found pretty much the ability to back up a lot of it. And I haven't googled every single thing i heard him say in an hour of listening to him but but i think that there's just the capability like with any historical figure that you might research that there's basically um, bullshit and truth mixed in together especially if he's getting fed information by other sources like that, sure. that could definitely go both either way someone might be trying to leak real information or blow the whistle without revealing themselves and then another person might be trying to convince and easily manipulated uh, broadcaster about some propaganda. Yeah, and I think, and I mean, I think that's, Alex Jones doesn't care, you know, it's kind of like, just give me a good story and I'll run with it. Mm-hmm. And if it happens to be partially true, even better. But, you know, that's kind I of... Feel, mainly, I just am happy that independent sources like him or the Young Turks or uh, just spread out throughout the multitude of podcasts and and YouTube channels, there are way more people listening to each other than there are listening to mainstream news. I think that's the Dan Carlin dilemma, that he did a couple of podcasts on this where he, he was referring specifically to Trump. And, you know, Dan Carlin has been so adamant about we need outsiders in politics because professional politicians are just awful, which is true. And so both aspects of that are true, right? We need outsiders in politics. Professional politicians suck. 
And so that was having a moment of, yeah, and now I got what I wanted and that's not at all what I wanted, you know, where it's like, yeah, right. different, but not that different, you know, it's kind of because the problem is when you step out of the mainstream and when the mainstream sucks, right? Like in media, like in politics, like a lot of the things, you're saying anything but the mainstream. The problem is that out of the mainstream, there's the stuff that's way better than the mainstream and the stuff that's way worse of the mainstream. It's all out of it, but that doesn't mean that it's qualitatively good just because you are not the mainstream, you know? So while I agree with you 100%, I appreciate deeply the fact that today there are those options and you, we are not stuck with these two or three semi-identical narratives that you get from the only approved channels. You know, that's a huge, beautiful thing. Of course, the problem is that when you open the door, you also open the door to a mountain of trash that come in. And in there, you find the little gold nuggets buried under mountains of trash. That So it's one of those dilemmas that Dan was making fun of himself about, because he's like, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted. And I'm totally unhappy with the result. It's kind of funny how that plays out. It's pretty much gotten to the point where almost any information you come across could be in some way misleading or guiding you in a direction that you're not realizing it's trying to manipulate you into. So it's like, but you don't want to just turn off the internet and stop trying yeah. to figure shit out. <laughs> so it is a tricky dilemma. And again, that's why I, I, uh, pro I'm a proponent of just taking in hugely diverse sources of information sure. and then seeing, then seeing things from that perspective. Um, no, I'm with you. I'm with you completely. And, um, and I think we are talking about it mildly related to this, but we are talking about it last time, which unfortunately for the listeners, we, there were technical difficulties, so it didn't record. But the um, one thing that we brought up, like you were mentioning something about kind of the whole uh, cultural shift, the social justice warriors, the Jordan Peterson interview with Joe Rogan all of that kind of stuff. And that to me is a prime example of, um, this is not necessarily even mainstream media. It can be more of an alternate media spin because, mm -hmm. you know, I hear it everywhere. It's kind know. of an echo chamber that gets created in this group of podcasters and media outlets. And I think what happened about this stuff and basically just to sum up for people who have no idea what we're talking about, you know, we're talking about this idea that uh, college campuses are these indoctrination places where this super hardcore PC culture is being pushed and everybody's turning into these, you know, trigger warnings and safe spaces and all of that crap, right? And what I notice, it's a compelling narrative because, of course, anytime you hear some of the stories, when you look at them, like the Jordan Peterson story, which is a true one, right? It's not made up. The idea that the University of Toronto was cracking down on him for not using some completely made up pronouns for um, more than, there are more than two genders. We need to be respectful of the three zillion of variation of transgender, this and the other. And so you start having to use this men. You know, anybody, 99.9% .9 of the population will look at that and say, what the fuck? This is insane. This is just bullshit. And it gets a reaction, right? There's that rightful indignation of looking of whoever came up with this has just lost their mind and I can't believe they are in a position of power. And my feeling is that the first guy who ever ran a story like this realized, oh, I got a lot of clicks on this one. So let me look for another story like this. And when I can't find it, let me make it up. And let me just put the magnifying glass of any possible example of this that exists 
creating this narrative that this is actually a real mainstream phenomenon. Whereas to me, the reality is, does that stuff happen? Yes, it does. In 1% of cases at most. But we blow it so much that we turn it into, now it sounds like it's a real deal. Um, I was having a conversation with somebody where he was, um, like, I link it to this example. Like, there was one guy who was telling me, I'm pissed off about, you know, I don't want to open the door for women or anybody for that matter, because this one crazy feminist yelled at me about, oh, what are you doing opening the door for me? And does that stuff happen? Yeah, it does. Uh, one happened to me too. But then I think, how many times have I opened the door for people in my life? 10,000 maybe? 9,999 people either said thank you or nodded or it was a completely mellow, normal interaction. One time I ran into a crazy bitch. That does not mean that I should start thinking that that's the, the means that that's the culture. That's what's out there. That's what, that's one fucking example. But of course, when we refocus only on those examples and we repeat them ad nauseum, we create the illusion that that's the reality, that all women out there are all crazy bitches who are going to yell at you if you're nice to them, you know? And it's like, yeah, not exactly. It made me think of a couple of things like, A, the righteous indignation card that is so popular for any type of, I guess, uh, for any human being, really, it's like an, a very appealing and a, addicting feeling, right? Uh, sure. Like, I'm, I'm right and fuck those guys. Yep. That's exactly the same thing that makes Alex Jones popular. Yeah. It's oh. just the, the left is kind of the, the left media is coming around and meeting the right on the, in that same, that same place of like, we're right, they're wrong. And it's very, it's very strange and uh, ultimately not very productive. And it's just like with, Within the human tribe or something, uh, negative gossip would bring, you know, you'd, you can make somebody, you can make a whole group of people feel bad if you uh, convince well, them stuff is bad. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's the same thing as from the left is assuming that every single Trump supporter is a neo-Nazi who kisses Hitler or statue every night. And on the right side is every leftist, they are all these trigger warning, social justice warrior free. Communists. Communists, of course, because, you know, there is no communism, but we can figure out a new thing to be pissed off about. So sure, communism. Well, there's communism in China. Yeah, well, even that's right. It's like it's like the equivalent of communism in North Korea. It's like it's just a way to grab power, right? It's, it's like just a dictatorship calling itself communism no, no, or no, oligarchy, no. I guess, maybe with China. Yeah, probably. exactly. Which is, you know, but the thing is the, um, those narratives are made up, you know, not every Trump supporter is a Nazi. Not every leftist is this, uh, PC obsessed, a social justice warrior thing. If anything, it's very small minority in both subsets are those things, you know? They are there Nazi supporters of Trump, of course. How many? Not that many. Are there hardcore PC people driven who fit the stereotype of the social justice warriors? Of course there are. Not that many. But I think those are the obvious boogeymen that we can obsess about and go, oh, look at those crazy Nazis or look at those stupid social justice warriors. It's, an, it's a convenient stereotype to focus on. It's also happened to be bullshit because the reality is populated by overwhelmingly people who don't feed those stereotypes. Yeah, overwhelmingly, it's people who will hold the door for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And those who say thank you. And it's, yeah, exactly. It reminds me of one of my favorite Bill Hicks jokes where he's talking about how 
he's like imitating a CNN newscaster or something like fire, rape, murder, death. And yeah. then I go and look out my window and birds are chirping, the sun's yeah. shining. Where, where is it all? Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And that's the same way in which mainstream media works is fear sells. Let's find every instance of shit going wrong anywhere in the world and let's blow it up in the news from every direction. And I remember when there was the 1991 or 1993 earthquake in LA, in Northridge, where I was in Italy at the time. And I swear, like, I thought that all of LA had burned to the ground because every camera shot was showing buildings on fire and crumbling. And the reality is that where there are buildings on fire and crumbling, yeah very few compared to what's out in LA, but the way it was spun, you would believe that LA was raised to the ground, right? There was nothing left. That was probably a weird time period in general, though, because it's kind of pre-popularization of the internet. So sure. information access, at least in a visual form, is pretty much limited to what you can get on TV. Yeah. And then that's Absolutely. so easily controlled back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you had even more of a powerful, like fear-based narrative controlling people's minds back then. So Really what I see is that we're um, just going through growing pains as uh, a species. And at the point we're at right now, it's like we're, it seems like things might be getting worse. But in reality, I think we're just getting better at sorting through information and seeing what's really been happening the whole time. And and, and um, that is that constitutes things getting better in and of itself, because awareness is the only way to bring about positive change. Sure. I think it. <laughs> positive change. What would you change about uh, the world right now if you could change a thing? Uh, I don't a good, think that me out the most in terms because, I mean, you're right. Things are always in flux. There are good things happening. There are bad things happening. Transformation are rarely just one-sided. One thing that tends to freak me out a lot are, um, is environmental destruction because some of that stuff there's no coming back from. You know, Fukushima? is yeah uh, fukushima and a ton of other i mean there's so much like our whole civilization is built to poison us to some degree or another and while i deeply enjoy life in civilization right now in some ways i kind of would like it to last and not poison everything and everybody in the process and so that will that tend to freak me out which is why you know when it comes to politics that's one of the first things i look at you know how are these guys in terms of environmental policies the answer is usually awful or slightly less awful because you know it's not like democrats are great or republicans are great they, they all suck just to different degrees some are a lot worse than others but it's not that somebody has it making it a priority to actually figuring out a way in which we can continue living as a civilization long term. Uh, that does not seem to be on the radar because there's too much money tied to interests that are that thrive on uh, polluting. Oh, yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, there was a big controversy near where I live in Arkansas because there's like a hog factory that's polluting an amazingly beautiful river and has been forever. And I guess some sort of legal battle is going on right now to maybe or they seem to have a lot of weight and the ability to just keep doing what they're doing but the fact that we can like we couldn't do this before but we can all get aware that that's happening because of the internet that does help quite a bit but really in my opinion what's most likely the necessary place to change is just individuals themselves waking up to what's going on so that there will be fewer and fewer corporations that are made up of people willing to do stuff like that because I mean, 
to an extent, a corporation creates a mind of its own that imposes its will upon the people that work for it, especially if the corporation's intent is just pure profit, which is most of them. But there are probably more and more companies that are consciously run that are, you know, we can, we can, I think we have a crazy amount of technology available if we just learn how to keep getting information out um, to each other without the mainstream media sources. Because, you know, no one, CNN's not going to run an article about, here's how you build your own solar battery. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, there's a lot of human ability to delude ourselves because, you know, there are very few people in the world who will say, I'm evil, I enjoy doing evil. Most people think they are doing good stuff, even when they are absolutely awful, right? I believe most Nazis must have believed we are the good guys. You know what I mean? Well, I found out that they were mostly on meth. Yeah, there's that too. (laughs) (laughs) Like, think about how weird it is that, like, back in the 1850s, 1860s, in the United States, you would have uh, the majority of people in the North whose uh, livelihood was not tied to slavery, so that clearly slavery is immoral. The majority of people in the South whose livelihood was tied to slavery, so that clearly slavery, slavery is a moral institution. They both, most of them are not lying. They actually believe it. But isn't it funny how when suddenly how much money you're going to put in your pockets is tied to something existing or not? Your ability to convince yourself that the thing is okay and it's fine or it isn't, vice versa, is so dramatic, you know, it's like, that's why to me is like, I don't believe that most of, take some of the worst polluting companies in the world. I don't believe they go back home thinking we are fucked up people. Yes. I got away screwing over the world one more day. I think they find a way to spin it where what I'm doing is not so bad. Um, it's better than most alternatives. Hey, we are trying in this and that way. That's the narrative they tell to themselves to be able to keep making their money and be able to sleep at night. And I think so even a sense. lot of people don't even have to have a narrative. I think if you have enough distractions in your life and while you're at work, you're just thinking about going home and playing Xbox. And then while you're at home, you're just playing Xbox and eating Doritos. You might not even worry about what you're doing that much. That's that's kind of what the whole dominate them with entertainment, cultural Sure. shift that we've had was even about in my opinion not that and what's weird about that too is it's made that cultural revolution of like more and more entertainment more and more distractions is made up of individuals who don't see themselves as creating stuff to keep the culture asleep they see it as i'm making this cool shit right here and that is the other weird thing is like they really are cool artists or something like to make a video game dozens or hundreds of artists are involved or to make a a big movie a lot of people are involved putting their creativity to to work and, you know, being in that daily flow of working and staying in balance with themselves the way that we were talking about at the beginning. Yet then the end result is, um, you know, billions of dollars spent on some Hollywood movie and it maybe it makes back its its budget or something. But like, what did the world actually gain out of that exercise? Mm-hmm. It, it's a it's kind of a weird dichotomy. All art is valid, I suppose. But um, for me. My life, my life going forward seems to be hinging on how many ways I can make what I'm doing more sustainable and how many ways I can, I guess, decouple from needing outside things. So like even just sim- simplest stuff as gardening, sure. which is, uh, oh, that's great, man. I got some sprouts ready to go right now. Sweet. 
You do any gardening out there? You guys have pretty consistent weather, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it can be nice. I like it. I suck at it, but I like it. Yeah, it's a lifelong learning process, and I'm at the very beginning of it because I yeah. started the last year. Exactly. Yeah, but just knowing the source of things, um, I think that is always a, a healthier, a healthier position to be in. And kind of as a species, we are in this perpetual state of not knowing the source of maybe our own existence. And mm -hmm. it, it's interesting because they, that, like spiritually, I think people are able to create a narrative in their life if they guide it in the right way where they can come to terms or at peace with the idea of their source or what that is. And, sure. um, it can reflect in their life in, in a lot of ways, but one way would just be the type of life that our ancestors, uh, lived in as native indigenous peoples, not just in North America, but all over the world where we kind of had a sustainable nomadic lifestyle going. Yep, absolutely. And everywhere, you know, that's the, the answer. 99% of the time we have been human. We have lived in small scale hunting and gathering tribes. Now that lifestyle is probably no longer feasible and that's fine. You know, I'm not advocating a return to the past, even because there are some really cool things about living in the modern world that I really wouldn't want to trade at all. I think Chris Ryan disagrees. Yeah. And in fact, Chris to me is a little too, you know, the good old ways, which first I'm not so sure that they were that good. I think they were partially good, but maybe not quite as good as advertised and B doesn't really matter because you're not going to get them back anyway. So why are we even talking about it? That plan me, doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. So to me, what's interesting is what can you take the best of that lifestyle with the best of modern lifestyle? You know, how can we stir the sheep in a direction where we can get the absolute best that modern civilization has to offer, trying to get rid of as much of its crap as possible and embracing, if anything, some of the insights that come from other ways of life. Like, for example, I find completely suicidal the fact that most of us, as you say, have no connection with the food we eat. Hardly anybody is growing their own food, even to some degree. I'm not saying every single thing, but, you know, if... If everybody had 30% of their own food coming from a closed source that they have a direct hand in, that would be huge. The other yeah, thing- because right now you could just, society could collapse and then you have no way of getting food potentially. Absolutely. And every other human in history would have been able to get their own food. Yeah. The fact that we don't leave uh, communities demolished, there's no such thing. You know, everybody live in, uh, in the best scenarios, mother, father, kids under one roof. There's no sense of uh, an extended family, an extended community. There is no, to me, it's like, how do we design even architecturally things where you can have a urban village where, you know, your 15, 20, 30 friends can all live next to you, where you have access to community gardens that you tend to together, where you have... So I'm not saying, you know, because the hippie model of the 60s was go in a commune somewhere in the country. That's like desperately trying to go back to the past. That's not going to happen. That doesn't work very well. The modern system doesn't work either in terms of monstrous amount of loneliness that people experience for not being part of something larger, a larger unit. How can we have both? How can we have being part of a quote unquote village while at the same time being part of a global world and not being trapped into the small scale village like most people in the world are trapped in their small community where everybody gossip and they force you to kind of stick to certain community standards? How can we 
figure out the best of the way of life with the best of the modern one? I don't think it's a simple answer. The question is simple. The answer is not. I think I don't really have the answer either. I have ideas. I think there are, but I think that's an important conversation to have because those are the kind of things, you know, relationship with food, relationship with community, relationship with your own body. All of these things are things that determine how the future is going to look like. I feel like uh, your generation and a little bit younger than you has really been instrumental in helping bring the change in our information about food and about being in tune with your body and things like that. But I think the, uh, the next generation is going to be responsible for figuring out that community thing more because we've all gotten interconnected with the internet now. And there are, there are a lot of eco villages and things like that that are coming online where people like, I know of multiple social media style websites where you can create a profile and people that also are on there can refer you as having certain skills or being um, an upstanding and good person. And then that profile constitutes a resume to get access to villages around the world that will let you work and exchange and teach you skills uh, exchange for food. And then you just get small space to live. But because we have the internet and the connectivity and the ability with these sites to do stuff like bounce from village to village over Mm -hmm. time, you don't have to have that loneliness factor of getting isolated in like a small commune and things turning into a weird cult. If it's a cult, then, you know, we can, we can just comment on their wall. Like this is a cult. Just don't go here. So there is an interesting technological return to nature um, that is possible. I think Uh, it's just a matter of, it's just a matter of activating some of the technologies that we can come up with that do less damage to the environment. Mostly. Exactly. Because like you're saying, this crazy environmental damage we're doing is, it's not just unsustainable, it's suicidal. Just as it's suicidal to not be able to take care of yourself without being connected to a larger grid in a way. And we're all rolling those dice that uh, any given day, something, something crazy could happen. The meteor could hit or whatever, and maybe you don't get killed by that. But what are you going to do now? Everybody's zombies roaming, roaming the streets looking for the canned food is yep. going to be gone in a couple of years, you know? No, totally. That's exactly, that's exactly true. And even if there is no global catastrophe, there's still kind of a slow moving catastrophe of the way we're poisoning ourselves. It is a global catastrophe. Yeah. Even it isn't even that slow moving. I mean, right. you can just slice one day of time and look, here's all the stuff that got destroyed today. Okay. Here's all the pollution that happened in this day. And you'd like every day is a disaster in that regard. That's why to me, and that's the problem when, you know, you see like U.S. election and you have Democrats and Republicans. And the way I look at it is I don't like either. You know, it's like Democrats are driving the the train toward destruction at 60 miles an hour. The Republicans are driving the train toward destruction at 100 miles an hour. So, I mean, yeah, if you ask me to choose, I'll pick the, but it's not that because I see that there's anything inherently better in the Democratic Party is that they are just slightly the policies they tend to push are 10% less awful. I mean, is that a victory? Come on, just because you are, that's a joke. That means you both suck. You're both pushing toward destruction. And yeah, on a day when you choose me, you tell me to choose only between A and B, I'll try to figure out what kills me slightly less fast, but that's not a choice. But ultimately, the big damage that's being done is happening at the hands of individual people, even even if you're not the one cutting down trees in the rainforest, 
each of us has a mountain of trash to our name, for example, stuff like that, like over the course of a lifetime. So, um, it is, it is up to us to make the, uh, the changes necessary, I suppose. (laughs) And if we stop putting our faith in external sources in the first place, like I'm not saying don't vote if there's an election and there's stuff that pertains to you in it, but there's a lot of, a lot of aspects that you, about like the way the government works that we are sort of tied into. And although we can't control where our taxpayer dollars go, which is like a big problem on a maybe metaphysical level or energetic level, we can control where our other dollars go and what things we support with our dollars. So it's not really, I don't think it has to be a, a doom and gloom outlook, even though we've kind of talked about some of the more seemingly negative stuff. I haven't felt like it's been a negative conversation. I felt it's well, been, you know, you have to just bring awareness to your own self about these things so that you're motivated to uh, make these changes in your own life, not just to tell other people about it. Well, the thing that to me is I believe in realistic optimism because most of the time I feel that there is uh, so-called optimism is delusional bullshit half of the time. Is this, uh, you can make anything happen. If you just will it, life will open all the doors for you. And it's like, no, motherfucker, that's not the way it works. There the are secret pl- is you're an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> there are plenty of cases where it's not just the way you think about it. You know, if an ISIS torturer strips you down and start applying electrodes to your genitals, it's not just a matter of you thinking differently and suddenly you can have a good day. There are objective circumstances out there that are, don't feed me bullshit of how, no, it's all a state of mind. It's not. Having said that, there is a state of mind. And if you give in to letting all the bad shit that happened in the world drag you down, you are making a bad situation even worse. So to me, the realistic optimist, you know, whereas the typical optimist is very delusional, is pretending that shit is not shit. The other one, the purely realistic is saying, look at all this shit that it's out there, how terrible it is. We are surrounded by shit. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, okay, you're right. But then what? What are you going to do about it? Are you going to either shoot yourself now, which I understand because I get it. I do see that shit. But either shoot yourself now because life sucks or figure out a way. Exactly. What are you going to do about it? Once you have decided that shit is shit, how do we deal with it now? And I think to me, the two models are both losing because one is I'll pretend that everything is roses all around me and act. And the first time the reality is going to smack you in the face, the whole castle of illusion is going to come crumbling down or I'll be depressed because life is so hard. I don't believe in either approach. I feel that you should look for reality in the eyes, see all the problems, see the harshness, see all the stuff that doesn't work. But once you take that into consideration, then figure out a way to be happy, not in the future, right fucking now, in the middle of it all, and what you can do to make it better while you are figuring out a way to be happy along the way. So like what you're, what you're saying kind of made me think the reason why you want to cultivate practices that allow you to really be in the present moment honestly without filters is that allows you to see the shit for what isn't then the reason why you want to cultivate practices that give you more love or compassion is because uh, love is a perspective that sees the highest potential in all things that it's looking at so if you are looking at the shit but you love the shit then you'll see exactly what you can do to make it better and you'll be right there in that middle path like like you're saying 
Yeah, I mean, I believe in that sense, uh, it's kind of like a martial art approach, right? It's like, I don't believe that you thinking, I'm going to project my energy and I'm going to make you fly around the room. Well, try. Well, you didn't. And you just got punched in the nose. So deal with what is. That guy is big and strong and he's applying this technique. What can you do about it? Be very, you know, it's not a taking an honest assessment of it. it should not be a depressing kind of activity because that's what allows you to formulate plans actually work. Not some delusional bullshit that make you convince you that it's going to work where reality all you are doing eluding yourselves. Good stuff, man. Is there anything you want to direct people towards other than daniellebelelli.com? Yeah, I mean, stuff goes to everything else. There's all the Twitter podcast, everything else. And oh, I guess one thing, uh, I do have uh, two things in that regard. I have my Facebook page. I have a public page on Facebook. That's so look for Daniele Bolelli. I have a public page open to everybody. I think I'm maxing out on the 5,000 in the private one. So there's that one where I regularly post up. Making dreams come true, Daniele. Thank you again. Thanks. Good night. That's it for this episode, everybody. Don't forget, I fucking love you. It's awesome that you're listening to the show. And there are links to everything that we were talking about in the episode notes, including my Patreon, where you can support the podcast and get cool rewards. See you next week. I cloned myself, but he didn't come out so well. So the second clone, I kind of have to leave him in the shadow so that he can do my job while I'm doing something else.